Hi everyone and welcome to ABC's Anesthesia. Now this is a bit of a special episode because I've had a finally medical student, uh, Nick, welcome. Um, Thank and you. And you know, sent me an email, actually he very, he actually sent me um, a bit of information on one of my online courses and he, and I've, I've done a mistake um, in terms of mentioning what Sugamidex would actually reverse. So I was really appreciative of Nick writing in and saying, actually, I, you know, I, I wasn't sure if this was correct. So I went back and was able to change that. So I really, really appreciate when people kind of write in and you know point out any, any things or any errors or any, or any any questions. So I really do appreciate that. Um, on the back of that, um, Nick has also just asked some advice about what a final year medical student should be doing uh, when it comes to preparing themselves to get onto anesthetic training. So yeah, I might um yeah I might actually ask you a few questions first, Nick. Um, Please go for it. Yeah, tell, us, tell us where you're at. You're finally a medical student. Tell us where you're at and uh, kind of where you're heading. Yeah, no worries. So yeah, I'm finally a medical student at Monash. Um, going through the postgraduate pathway. So did biomedical science at Monash first. Um, yeah, then followed into some postgrad medicine. Currently uh, doing my orthopedics placement down at um, Peninsula Health in Frankston. And then I'll be spending the rest of the year at the Alfred Hospital going through my six weeks of research, some ED, aged care and gen med, um, and then finishing it all off, hopefully, and moving on to internship next year. Yeah, nice one. Um, who are you doing research with at the Alfred? Um, so School of Public Health, so just next to the Alfred. So as part of our final year, we do a six-week um, scholarly intensive program. Um, so yeah, I've been lucky enough to be placed with the School of Public Health there and work, work with them. Do you have your project already set up? I do, yeah. I've been able to reach out to them um, over summer and sort of get a bit of a head start. It's a bit of a quiet summer up here, so I thought I might as well get onto it and start working. So doing some research um, into the outcomes for total hip replacements and total knee replacements um, in people over 65. So awesome. a lot of data collection, a lot of crunching numbers at the moment, but it all, all seems to be going well. I always thought the data was really good on that. So it sounds like there's, um, and actually there's a lot of new strategies and techniques. I remember the first hip replacements I was seeing with incisions about you know 20 centimeters long and now one of the surgeons i used to work with his incision is anterior and about 10 centimeters and it's uh yeah incredible that people are walking that day and out but in you know the next day or day two so yeah it all seems pretty promising so pretty keen to see see it through hopefully and yeah keep working with them for a while sounds good hey so i asked nick to um kind of come up with some questions and these i just saw the list of questions really good questions They'll be applicable to anyone really in their early doctor years or, or in their medical student years just leading on to thinking about what kind of program you want to get on and you know this i think the questions you're going to ask aren't even necessarily just for anesthetics it really is for uh, any kind of specialty a lot of the advice that i'll probably give um and i'm you know what i tell everyone is just ask so many people ask all your consultants registrars even people just a year ahead what they did um just like nick's asking me because then you just get a really good you know, spectrum of experience. And likewise on the ABC's ABC channel and podcast. Um, yeah, I think uh, so Kaz and I, we did quite a few videos on you know, CVs and applications and things. So please have a listen to that. Uh, but yeah, Nick, let, let's get started. Ask away. Uh, thank you very much for you know giving me the opportunity to be able to ask you these questions. I do really appreciate it. Right. I suppose just starting from the start, trying to know a bit more about you and how you got to where you are. Going through med school, you know, what interested you? What did you think you wanted to do through yeah. med school? Yeah, interesting. Um, I, I didn't have too much of an idea. Uh, so I really enjoyed the procedural stuff like most people. So yeah, emergency medicine was where you got to do a lot of you know, things like IV cannulations and you were very autonomous with patients that like you weren't doing, you know, just following you know, people on a ward round, surgeons and physicians on a ward round, you were 
you know, really kind of allocated patients. I, I think most people like that. Um, this, I love the surgical side of things. Again, just getting in and doing stuff. Uh, but then during my fourth year, I met this fantastic doctor. I just met him randomly in, in, in a tea room or common room. And he just sold me anesthetics. He, he just told me all these good things about it. And he was just such a charismatic person that he, uh, uh, yeah, he just convinced me and many other people, I think, to do anesthetics. So uh, yeah, after, after hearing what he had to say, he said, you know, you've got good work-life balance and, you know, it's, it's got the benefits of, you know, you take care of really sick patients and you're so, you gain so much confidence of that. Um, and, you know, you don't, you don't have the, all the um, obligations of owning your own patients like most surgical and physician specialties. Like there's a few, few specialties out there where you really, the patient is all, you know, all you. Uh, all your teams perhaps uh, and you're the primary caregiver for that but with anesthetics you kind of do have a set of mass separation the surgeon look up, looks after the patient mostly and the anesthetist then uh, is you know, I guess asked or contracted to uh, take care of that patient for the time of the surgery um, but that's that's right at the end of your shift you can either hand over or go a bit longer but you go home and you pretty much sleep soundly knowing that you did that job and I think there's a few few you know, things like that, you know, whether you're doing radiology or emergency, maybe in pathology, uh, where you get that flexibility because you don't own your own patients. Um, anyway, so that's, those were the kind of options. And over, over the next few years, I did rotations. You know, the only way you can really figure out these things is to do rotations and what, whatever you can. And so I did rotations in anesthesia, surgery, medicine, and anesthesia just felt, felt right. Um, I remember one of my first few jobs was a couple of surgical rotations. The first one was really cruisy. It was a small hospital just during Christmas. I had two patients in my first week as an intern. I, I, it was such a skewed perception of what intern life was going to be because we had way too much time. Uh, and then the next couple of rotations were absolutely hectic. My, one of my urology fellows was in every night on call. And I just thought, oh, this doesn't seem like a, you know, livable life to me. So yeah, then I really changed anesthetics and I, I put all my energy into that. Yeah, that's awesome. So I suppose following on from that a bit more, what sort of pathways did you take post-medical school? You said you, know, you spoke about working some surgical jobs, some ED work. What sort of streams did you go down to get to where you are today? Yeah, so I was thinking of doing surgery. So I asked for an internship with a surgical stream. Um, and then I realized that wasn't for me. And then you know, I, I, I was doing a general year, but I asked for a couple of medical rotations that I wanted. And you know, I was really lucky to get anesthetics and infectious diseases. Um, as well as um, some more service rotations of emergency and nights. And yeah, I, I, and I think, again, the more I did anesthetics, especially in that second year job, I realized, you know, all the things that I'm, I just felt all my strengths were really highlighted in anesthetics, whereas I found ward rounds and, you know, trying to remember a whole bunch of patients quite, quite more, you know, a bit more challenging. So yeah, anesthetics really suited me. I could just focus on one patient at, at a time and lots of kind of procedures to learn kind of quickly. Uh, so that's that's how that went. Like I, I pretty much just told the people responsible for the rosters where what I wanted to do. And I told them early and they just made it happen for me. So I think I was really lucky that there was that slack in the system or the, that ability for me to get the rotation that I wanted. Yeah, that's fantastic. So you've gone through your surgical stream when you started, started to highlight that anesthetics was the area for you. Yes. So you sort of touched on it already, talking about, you know, the work-life balance and what people have sort of spoken about to encourage you to pursue it. But in yourself, why do you think, why anaesthetics? Yeah, why anaesthetics? Um, 
You know, I, I tell all my medical students and junior doctors that often you'll choose a job based on bad evidence. Uh, for example, you will, you know, the, the old school kind of way of being in a team, surgical team, medical team, or whatever it is, is you don't really get complimented too much. You know, most of your life you've been doing pretty well and you get into medicine. And if you do a good job, nothing is said necessarily. And if you do it bad or you miss something little, you will hear about it. And I felt so I didn't feel great doing any of my jobs, even though I worked really hard with all my rotations. There wasn't that much positive reinforcement. Uh, definitely doing anesthetics, I, I felt like I got that positive reinforcement. So that meant that I thought, oh, maybe I'm, maybe I'm okay for anesthetics. But the thing is that I think a lot of people, again, then choose that job or that path based on the fact that someone treated them well or you know, believed in them. And that's just a chance encounter. So what my, what my suggestion to everyone is, if I could do it again, you know, I was lucky that anesthetics just worked out perfectly for what I wanted. But you know, I would I would try to talk to as many consultants qualified and doing, you know, the job after they're trained. And you know, because that's your you know your training years are five to ten years, and then your consultancy years are twenty to forty years. What does that look like? You know, what are your options? What are your choices? What's the impact? How do you how, can you have work life balance? Do you do you, you know do you have to love work that much that you have no choice but to but 60 hours a weekend. Uh, and I never ask those questions. I don't know many people who have. I think people go into the job thinking that the, uh, the you know, what, what it felt like to be a resident or registrar and feeling those good feelings and having a good team and supervisors, that's what convinced them to do the job. You know, that, that's not for everyone. I just felt like that, that I, I do see that a bit and I definitely saw that um, bias in myself. So if I can tell anyone, definitely ask people, as consultants, what's, what it's like and see if that suits you. And also try to then match it up to your personality. You know, you know you're an extrovert, you know, GP and you know, professions where you're constantly talking to people might be okay, but if you're a natural personality introverted, imagine being someone having to talk to patients day in, day out. That could be absolutely exhausting. And so again, anesthetics, I like the fact that I, I can really choose how much chat, chatting I do to the surgeon and the team. Like sometimes I feel talkative and they feel talkative and, you, know, you can have a nice conversation other times you know i just want to you know be be quiet just get on you know all my stuff and i think anesthetics allow, allows that for sure yeah so obviously i'm lucky enough to be in the position to be talking to you now so i get to do that through what you're saying so yeah, i right. suppose what are the best parts of your job and conversely you know what are the worst parts of also yeah that's a, that's a really good question i think during your training years you have a couple of really tough exams. You know, I think most people are studying 12 months for these exams. Um, it takes a lot out of you, you know, a thousand hours of study over 12 months, which is you know, an extra 20 hours a week for 50 weeks, roughly. And that's on top of your, you know, how many, 40 to 45, maybe 50 hours of, of, of work and sleep and trying to manage other stuff. So the study commitment's really big. Depending on which hospital you go to, the night commitment is, is really tough. Uh, but that changed. Once you become a consultant, you can effectively choose how much on call and how many nights you're doing. So that was revolutionary for my kind of work-life balance now. Uh, the, other, the other kind of negative side of things, the, the fact that you don't own your patients means that you really have to be, you know, you have to get a public job or you have to be, you know, you have to know surgeons who won't ask you to do any studies for them. So the fact that you don't own your own patients is a bit of a double-edged sword. I can't be guaranteed work like, say, a surgeon who's good. They just, you know, they, they'll bring in the patients, they'll make connections with GPs to refer them to them. 
like us physicians, something similar, and they all, you know, have their work. Whereas, you know, there's a saying in anesthesia that you, you know, in, in the private world, you, there's no guaranteed list. You only have a guaranteed list by marriage or by blood. So unless you're related to them or married into to your surgeon, they they could they could fire you at any time. So that lack of certainty, and I think in the old school way, I remember one of my family friends, family friends from back in the day saying, oh, he didn't like anesthesia because he had to suck up to the surgeons and really bow down to them and do what they said. And I, I feel that a lot less. Um, I feel there's far more collegiality now, um, especially in my experience. Uh, and, you know, if I've got a disagreement or a different point of view, something my surgeons are always listening. Okay, I've never had a problem with that. If I want to cancel someone, I've never had a problem with that, even though they lose money on that cancellation. Um, and that's absolutely the right thing to do, medically speaking, but there's always that friction about the surgeon just wants to go ahead, stereotypically, and the anesthetist is a bit cautious about that. Um, I think the final thing is two-edged. You, you, you would have heard of the um, uh, whole thing about 99% boredom, 1% sheer terror. Yeah, yeah, I've heard that one before. <laughs> so that's a double-edged sword, right? So that 1% sheer terror is when, say, once in however many months or depending on where you're at and you know what your experience is and what your hospital patient case mix is you'll have some pretty scary and disastrous things potentially happening you know cardiac arrest can happen and anaphylaxis malignant hypothermia for the rare stuff um, and just really sick patients undergoing really tremendously difficult operations having an anesthetic that changes your whole cardiovascular respiratory and other physiology um, and you've got to deal with that. You've got to be okay with dealing with it. And no one knows until they get in whether they're going to be okay. I just know that my training at the Alfred, I feel like I just had amazing teachers, amazing mentors, amazing role models. And they're just people at the top of their game. And so coming from that, and even now working with my current hospital, I just feel like I've got lots of really good people around me who inspire me, teach me. I, can, I work with them, I learn from them. And I'm constantly teaching stuff as well with ABC's anesthesia and the Sin Center. So when it does happen, I feel like I'm on, on, on my game. So I don't, I don't worry too much about that. And when, it, when things have happened, it's fortunately gone really, really well, been well managed and, you know, uh, uh, so when those bad things happen, the sheer terror doesn't affect me that much because you know, I feel like I'm, I'm prepped, I'm prepared, I'm ready. And I make sure that, you know, before I need this, I've always got a good night's sleep and you know, uh, making sure I'm well. Uh, so that's potentially a problem, but it hasn't been for me. And then there's a problem of long cases where there's not much to do. And in those cases, you know, you can always do something else. Like there's ways to, you know, have a chat with your trainee or your nurse, you run through scenarios. Um, there's many ways that I find to occupy myself. So that's not important for me. That's just another opportunity to do something. So I would say those are probably the major disadvantages. Well, that's, a, that's a bit of a long, long spiel, isn't it? That's good. I like it. <laughs> um, and you sort of probably already touched on it a bit through that answer, you know, talking about your trust in your training and your, you know, ability to survive in those really difficult situations. Mm. So what do you think makes someone a good anesthetist? Yeah, I think, like anything, I think it's just really having, you know, really good work ethic, hard work, you get up early, you come in early, you're just really diligent and there's a stereotype of, you got to be a little bit OCD. I, I tell my trainees, you want to make it seem like you're OCD, even though you do not have that disability, fortunately. So you want your, you know, your everything, you know, you come in, you do your machine check religiously, and you, you know, your medications are all lined up. One of, one of the uh, consultants I trained with, you know, it was just, 
every time he turned up, you, you, you just made sure that all your syringes were lined up. It, you know, it's not a right angle, it's a wrong angle. And I've got to say, I, I, I live like that now. Whenever I see a messy workbench, I'm, I'm, I judge that. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, I think that I think that's really you know that's really important. Um, and what makes a good nurse? So yeah, having that attention to detail, diligence, hardworking, and you know, it, it, it's so many other factors. And I think if you were asking this in an interview, you probably talk about the you know, the um, qualities of nurses or the attributes of nurses. And I talk about kind of these pretty general terms: scholar and collaborator, communicator, teamwork leader. Um, you know, communicate like a few different things that round a person and you can definitely refer to that um I, I think one of the best things is that one of my mentors told me early on is if you care for your patient then everything flows from that and you want to do the best for your patient you, you look up the case the night before you make sure they're well you be really diligent with that you know if you haven't done a certain procedure you make sure that you've done it so through your training you will get minimal opportunities at a few of these rare procedures and you've just, you've just got to make those opportunities happen and chase it. If you're not good at regional, if you're not from a regional anesthesia hospital that does a lot of regional blocks, you just make those opportunities no matter what it takes. Uh, and so I think that comes from knowing that one day you'll be out and needing to do an awake fiber optic and you, you know, if you haven't done it many, many times, it's not going to be safe for that patient to have it done with you. So I think that fear as well, the fear of that happening to me and coming out, I, yeah, I try to make a lot of opportunities happen. Um, yeah. There's probably, probably the other thing I, I yeah, you know, care for your patients, just being diligent, hardworking. These are probably things that span any other kind of specialty. I think the ones that are probably interesting with anesthetics is you've got to be really efficient, especially as a survivor in the private world. So being able to manage and multitask lots of things. Again, this is just through practice and constantly looking to improve. Like even I know in my really fast list in private, my speech is an absolute minimum of efficiency. I think you know I say exactly what needs to be said and nothing more because you know there's this thing in private anesthetics or eye anesthetics if they're waiting for you to get that block in, you probably lost that list. And mm -hmm. it's got to be really efficient with your time. Likewise, with your procedures, just going to be really coordinated to do those a lot of those things. Maybe not the surgical level, but we're putting big tubes into small vessels. You know, that's that's just one of the things we do, and that's that that can be really tricky. It takes take it, it can take an hour to do an art line that's difficult, whereas a lap appendix with a fast surgeon takes ten minutes. So you know, it, it's just a different difficulty. Um, and I think, yeah, I think that's pretty much it. And then learning how to deal with the stress and manage those things for me is all just rehearsal, being mindful, you know, trying to instill good cognitive behavioral therapy within yourself to manage that stress. Um, I think those are probably a good summary of the main points that I take away. Yeah. Yeah, no, thank you, that's, that's awesome. I do really appreciate that. So mm -hmm. a bit of a change of pace for this one. So me just, you know, coming off my student placement on anesthetic, what would you say to students who you know might be about to start their placement? How can they make a good impact? How can they be a good anaesthetics med student when they're there? Yeah, excellent. That's a really good question. Was the reason one of the reasons I started ABCs of anesthesia was because lots of the basic stuff is so hard to find in a textbook. So I'd look at you know without just trying to give a plug for my, my own channel and everything. You know, if, if you watch the ABCs of anesthesia bootcamp playlist, that's a lot of the basic stuff and six hours, but that's six hours of what you need rather than lots and lots of stuff that you may you may not see a liver operation or see an awake fiber optic. So I would say definitely go through the information and knowledge that targeted 
And then that's the that's kind of the knowledge element. You're not required to know too much, but if you just did the right thing, like coming in early and seeing every patient and knowing how to do an anesthetic history, making a very brief plan, you know, in level in line with your experience level, that's you know, if you did that thing, put a drip in, take a history, make a plan, and you just rinse repeated that. That's your foundation. That's your bread and butter for being a good medical student. Um, and all the other stuff is kind of the personality type things like showing that you're interested like you know if you're if you've got lots of other things going on you're on your phone and you've got to go to another tube yeah you know you're just a med student that come, comes and goes but if you're the person that got in there early maybe you email the consultant say hey i want to try this could, could we talk about this i'm interested in this it's just being so proactive that i'm, I'm always impressed when someone does that um yeah so that's not much right knowledge activities and you know the personality type stuff, being being diligent when you're when you're there on the day, um, and then yeah, you know, the ability to look up a case before, go to the right journal articles, and I've got a video on resources and anesthesia. But go to the right, so the BJA education series, look up that procedure, look up that patient characteristic or pathology, and then ask some interesting questions about that, which you know you might even be able to teach the anesthetist who hasn't looked up same myasthenia for obviously ages. So this is really, you know, low level fruit that any medical student could do, uh, but it doesn't happen that often. So if you, know, if you want to be that person, I would highly recommend it because I'll, I'll definitely be impressed. Mm. Yeah, nice. I should have gone back and looked up some of those articles before mine, tried to call out a few <laughs> consultants as you said. Yeah. Uh, so sort of there you go. Easy. So just like moving through. So for people, you know, moving on to internship, residency years who may be interested in anesthetics and looking down that way, are there any sort of courses, qualifications, teachings you think people should look to pursue to put them in good stead? Yeah, absolutely. So I think the one thing I did, again, accidentally was, you know, in every rotation, surgical, medical, whatever, I just did something small. So, you know, first of all, there's the, the researchy type stuff, then there's the learning type stuff and maybe teaching type stuff. So with the research stuff, you know, just plug away at audits, literature reviews, anything small, and opportunities will come, come to you. And you know, just plugging those things away. These days for learning, there's a lot of course out there, and I've got uh, there's probably a good. I'm not sure I've got a podcast on this, but essentially, if you could do one of the airway courses, the ACE airway course or NAPCAT, and I'm not sure I've got a link to those in the story notes. Uh, those are good airway courses. If you did any of the anesthesia kind of intro courses, either my course or a Royal Melbourne runs a star course, I think every hospital has some version of something and we're all kind of different, but you know, just to, just to learn something, not nothing is pretty useful. So that was airway stuff, anesthesia stuff, uh, ALS. I think every intern should be doing the ALS2 course with the Australian Associate of Cancer. Uh, and you know, not only do you, should you do the course, you should try to be an instructor. Um, watch some of my uh, ALS videos. It's not too hard to learn the procedure. You read the book, you read the manual, you look at the practical how to approach the examination style of that. Um, and any, you know, anyone can be instructed with a bit of diligence, even if you're an internal resident, just you know, do, do a lot of work to it. So that probably leads on to the fact that you know, if, you, if you just do a course and pay a bit of money, that's the lowest level. So that's the bare minimum that most quick care residents would have that would have the ALS stuff airway courses um, and um, some intra-anesthesia course. And then beyond that, having the initiative to start things yourself. So if you see a complication in your surgical rotation, 
you know, ask, hey, do you, do you need an audit done on how many of these have happened? And then compare it to another center or the world standard. That's a really, really useful thing. And you just initiate it yourself. That shows me something more than signing up a course at the world. Likewise with teaching, if you feel like you know something, well, just teach the medical students that, you know, teach your juniors, teach, teach your whole classroom or whatever it is, just start teaching because that becomes something. ABCs and anesthesia just started off as 7 a.m. shoots, which I just ran by myself back a long time ago. Um, and slowly it just becomes more and more. Um, uh, my first experience of research was really, I was in my resident year and I went up to my supervisor training and I said, hey, I've got some questions. I'd like to get involved in research. And he said, look, no, don't worry. Just do, do what you're doing and you'll be fine. But it wasn't satisfying for me. He was like, well, I wasn't doing that many hours as a resident. It was like 38 hours a week. I was used to doing 70 hours a week in urology. Um, and so I, got, I had five questions and I just went directly to the director. And he's one of the most published people in the world. Um, and he's typing away as he always has always been. He's got so many things on, but he stops, looks at me and goes, what do you got? And so I just pitch him, literally like a pitch. I'm pitching him five ideas. And he just sh shoots down the first four. The final one, which was looking at ultrasound to assess gastric emptying and gastric contents. Um, and there's a small study I was thinking about. But there's a small study that I found eventually. And it became a whole thing. I did a lit review. I had a study kind of proposal. And it all failed completely. But I learned later that, that you know, this, this consultant was really appreciative and you know, happy with my initiative. And thought, you know, this guy's self-starting, he's taking something through from start to finish as best as he can, and he's doing it on his own back. And I'm really just going to my director for advice on where to go next because I, I don't know this journey. Um, and I learned so much from that process, but also I got the best reference I've ever got from someone. And I think that went a long way for me getting into anesthetics. So you know, I tell everyone who comes to me that wants to help me with ABC anesthesia, I say, hey, have a look at what I'm doing, pitch me something. If, you, if there's something you're interested in. I will do whatever I can to make it happen because someone did that for me and you know it will benefit everyone if we're, we're all working towards a similar goal. I think you've probably surmised it well for this next question I've got for you. But just so in addition a little bit more, what do you think makes a good anesthetics candidate? Yeah, I think it's those qualities we've talked about before. But let's say specifically, and as they can, let's say, like we talked about what makes a good anesthetist, so that kind of refers to that. But if we talk about someone applying on the program, you really want someone, you know, as, as a department, you need someone who's obviously intelligent enough. And I think everyone is pretty intelligent and capable when they can get into medicine. It's so difficult to get in that you've already reached that bar. So what do we want? We want someone who is truly reliable and honest and, and can pass their exams because that's a big part of it. So you has that you know, all their stuff sorted out, that they're reliable, you know that you can leave them alone at night when they're at basic training, advanced training, and that you know that they're not gonna just rush ahead with something that they shouldn't. So you need someone who's you know, appropriately cautious and understands the limitations and have this sense of self-efficacy, you know, knowing that, yeah, that trip I can do, but that airway, I definitely won't help with that. You really need that innate sense in someone. Um, and yeah, and someone who knows what it takes to be to do anesthetics or someone who's chatted to people knows what the exams look like what the amount of study is has a plan for that you know what are they going to do what does the rest of that five years training look like for them um those are probably the important things that i would look at you know uh, because everything else is probably okay and then really you, you know you're really just getting you're giving the you're giving it people who really barely know you 
a, a couple of references, a CV with some words on, on a page, and then an interview. And I, I don't know how good any of these things are, um, evidence-wise. I've heard the best marker of success, especially, is your med school grade. So, you know, take it what you need. I mean, your med, med school grade is probably the accumulation of a lot of work over a long period of time, plus you've got into med school. Um, whereas referees, you know, you can't find one person who believes in you and gives you a good reference. I think that's pretty hard <laughs> not to. Mm. Uh, your CV can be you know, panned out. You know, I know lots of people will write stuff and you know, elaborate probably more than is exactly honest. <laughs> so that's, that's, you know, easy to kind of fake a little bit. And then the interviews, anyone can practice for an interview, but I've got to say, it's still a game. You've got to practice for this. If people have only rehearsed a few times to get it out and look good on Zoom, you know, then, you know, you and then look good in person, engage with the camera, look up at the camera. I'm really bad at putting that on, you know, chatting on Zoom. Uh, yeah, if you haven't prepared for these three things, referees, CV and interviews, you're, gonna, you're not going to give yourself a good shot. Mm -hmm. uh, I suppose we've sort of touched on everything that I've got on my list, but just as we've sort of spoken through it all, mm -hmm. is there anything you would have changed that how you've gone about things through your training through being an anaesthetist now? Is there anything you would have done differently over the journey, do you think? Yeah, really good question. I'm trying to think of the, I was lucky, everything went really well for me. I, I know I unfortunately didn't have as much balance in my life because all I cared about was making sure that I got my anaesthetist job and passed the exam. So I was probably like the perfect so-called you know, trainee because nothing got in the way of me getting up early, seeing the patient the day before. And you know, my social life definitely um, you know, uh, suffered because of that. Some relationships suffered because of that. Um, and that was just my person and I just needed to get this job because that's what I really wanted to do and have the security of that. Um, so, you know, I don't know if I've changed that, but potentially I've tried to get more balance in my life um, as I've been training. Um, but now, you know, I, I felt like I was really lucky. You know, one of the things I, I would say to people starting on the anesthetic journey, knowing how to ask for more independence earlier on. So, you know, being proactive about saying, hey, do you mind if I try this case just on my own? with you sitting in the corner there giving me advice. Um, in certain hospital systems, you get independence a lot later, and that can be a bit dangerous when you change hospitals when there's higher expectations of you. So that was definitely a problem. Um, that's you know, very, a very limited problem, but you know, it, it'll turn out fine in the wash. Uh, so I would have asked for independence earlier. Um, yeah, I think those are the main things. I think otherwise, I had a pretty sweet run. <laughs> You know, barring the fact that most people go through a bit of a horrific time trying to sit these exams. Yeah, it seems like we're constant across it all. Um, look, that's all the questions I had sort of laid out for you. I do really appreciate you taking the time to have a chat with me and obviously everyone else who will be listening to this. Um, yeah. yeah, that's that's all I've got. Yeah, those are really good questions. As I was reading those questions, I was like, oh, I better think about these. <laughs> <laughs> Awesome. So I tried to structure it somewhat, so it didn't jump around too crazy that's or anything. All about structure, frameworks and structure. That's, what that's it. <laughs> all right. that yes. OCD tendency. That's right. Hey, so Nick, yeah, if, you, if, if you have any other questions, yeah, let me know. But otherwise, um, yeah, if anyone enjoyed this video and the podcast, please share with anyone who might be interested. Um, yeah, and please feel free to ask any questions with the emails abcsofanesthesia at gmail.com. And yeah, we'll see you next time. Thanks very much for watching and listening. See ya.